Have you witnessed or experienced opposition to the gospel? We should never be intimidated by the arguments or actions of people who oppose the gospel of Christ. We need to remember that those who oppose the gospel are merely people. The truth we proclaim comes from God. When we faithfully speak His Word, He will use it for His glory. Stephen Davey wants to help you understand this, and his lesson for you today is called Introducing the Unknown God. Today we set sail in Acts chapter 17, and this chapter opens with the missionary team of Paul, Silas, and Timothy, and they're arriving now at the city of Thessalonica. Now, as usual, Paul enters a Jewish synagogue, and verses 2 and 3 summarize uh, for us his preaching ministry there. On three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, proving that it was necessary for the Christ, that is the anointed one, to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ, that is the anointed one. Now, as a result of Paul's preaching, we're told here that many people believe in the Lord Jesus. Of course, with that, the Jewish leaders stir up opposition. We're told here that a mob arrives and attacks the house of Jason, where the missionaries have been staying. They drag Jason and others off to the magistrates who threaten to throw them into jail. Well, not willing to risk the lives of of this missionary team, the church, verse 10 tells us, immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. That's about 60 miles away. Well, their ministry here in Berea once again begins in the Jewish synagogue. We're told here in verse 11, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Again, we're told that that many of them come to faith in Christ, but Jewish leaders from Thessalonica hear about the missionaries preaching over in Berea, and they soon arrive, and they start stirring up the crowd all over again. Verse 14 tells us that, well, Paul slips out of town, and he travels all the way to Athens, nearly 200 miles away there to the south. Silas and Timothy remain behind. They're going to organize and strengthen this brand new local church in Berea. God obviously wants Paul now to deliver the gospel in Athens. This was the renowned philosophical center of the ancient world. Socrates and his brilliant student Plato had taught here in Athens, as well as Plato's protege, Aristotle. Well, this city is very affluent, and even the ruins today still speak of its former glory. Athens was also of the center of idolatry. And while waiting for Silas and Timothy to show up, verse 16 now tells us here that Paul's spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. Historians have written that that in Athens there were as many statues of the gods as there were people. Well, Paul isn't going to waste any time. He, he begins speaking in the synagogue to the Jews and in the marketplace to the Greeks. 
Well, he's evidently overheard by Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. Epicureans believe that pleasure is the chief pursuit of man. Stoics believe that the goal of man is to feel neither pleasure nor pain, but to master any and all emotion. Well, some of these philosophers refer here to Paul in verse 18 as a babbler, literally a seed picker. In other words, uh, they, they refer to Paul as somebody who's just sort of picked up various ideas, and he's now, he's now passing them off as his own in an attempt to become a famous philosopher himself. Well, others are confused by Paul's preaching about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So they invite him to the Areopagus, that's that hilltop, where the leading officials and philosophers held court. They're curious. They're, they're intrigued with Paul, the seed picker. They, they want to hear more from him. Well, Paul begins building a bridge to them, and he does it with a very gracious opening here in in verse 22. Paul says, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. Well, then he mentions one particular altar he noticed in Athens, an altar dedicated to an unknown or the unknown God. Seems like the Athenians were so afraid of overlooking some God, they built an altar to the one they might not know. Well, historians help us here. They tell us that some 500 years earlier, Greece had become overwhelmed with a terrible plague. Hundreds of people were ill. uh, Hundreds died. People were desperate for a cure. So they began sacrificing to all the gods, but nothing seemed to help. Finally, a famous poet from Crete named Epimenides came up with a plan. Uh, He went to the same hilltop, the Areopagus, where Paul is preaching right now, and he, he goes up there with a flock of sheep. He released the sheep to roam about, and and whenever one of them lay down, the sheep was to be sacrificed to the god of the nearest temple. Well, the assumption was that the angry, you know, gods would draw the sheep to themselves. But the problem was when the sheep were turned loose, they came down that hillside and some of them laid down where no temple was located nearby. Uh, The people didn't know what to do. So in order to cover all the religious bases, they just built an altar and sacrificed the sheep on that spot. And when the plague was over, they raised the monument and inscribed upon it to the unknown God. Well, now Paul is here on this same hilltop, and he effectively says, look, I know the name of that unknown God. Let me introduce him to you. And Paul begins to describe God here in verse 24 as the God who made the world and everything in it and being Lord of heaven and earth. Well, then he does not live in temples made by man. Well, now, Paul begins here with creation. And, beloved, more and more today, as people lose any knowledge of the true and living God, you know the best place to start at times is Genesis chapter 1, that God is the creator and the source of life. So much confusion today. Why? Because we've denied the creator, God. Paul says here in verse 26 that God made from one man every nation of mankind. Well, that truth handles all the racial problems we have today. Listen, there are many nations and ethnicities, but there's only one race. There's only one human race. 
created by God. Well, the Greeks knew nothing of that kind of personal caring God. Paul goes on here in verse 26 to declare that God has determined allotted periods and boundaries of people's dwelling places. In other words, God determines the existence and even the borders of every country on earth. That would handle world wars if we just acknowledge God, wouldn't it? God has determined how long America or or China or any other country is going to be around. God happens to be in control of the nations. And Paul quotes two Athenian poets here who acknowledged that all people owe their existence to God. Now, these Greek poets are referring to their god, Zeus, and Paul isn't trying to prove his point you know, by pagan poetry. He's, he's rather brilliantly using their poetry to illustrate his point that the true God is the source of life. Mankind knows that deity is behind creation. And he says, let me introduce you to the God who alone is creator. Well, after introducing the true and living God, Paul basically moves to the verdict, which is, since there is a creator God and you've been created by him, you are accountable to him. And let me tell you, that's the reason, beloved, people don't want to believe in a creator God. They know that that's going to mean they're accountable to him. They're even going to stand before him one day. And that's exactly how Paul concludes here in verse 31. God has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. In other words, God has overlooked their past ignorance. That is, he hasn't brought them to judgment yet. But they need to repent because Jesus, raised from the dead, the God-man, will one day judge the world. You know, Paul isn't engaging here in a philosophical debate. He's, he's declaring the gospel of the risen Savior, and he's warning them of coming judgment. This is something we need to remember, beloved. The gospel isn't an option. It's an ultimatum. So Paul's sermon can be summarized here this way. There's one God. There's one human race. There is one Savior. And there's one judge who will come one day to judge the world. You see, Paul makes it clear that there are not many gods, but only one true God. There are not many roads then that lead to this true God, but only one road. And that road is the risen Christ. The proof is his empty tomb. Well, the responses to Paul's message are varied. We're told here that some mock him, others are curious, and they want to hear more, and some believe. You know, people listening to me right now are responding the same way. What about you? Do you mock the gospel? Are you procrastinating? You know, maybe curious, you'd like to hear a little bit more. Well, I'm praying you'll surrender to your creator, God, today and accept his son, Jesus, as your savior. And if you haven't done that, don't go any further today. Do that right now. Well, until we set sail again, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God 
and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. That was Stephen Davey, and this lesson is called Introducing the Unknown God. This is The Wisdom Journey, a production of Wisdom International. Please install the Wisdom International app to your phone or tablet. Once you do, you can take this Bible teaching ministry wherever you go. You can follow along on both the Wisdom Journey and Wisdom for the Heart. You can access Stephen's four decades of Bible teaching and much more. Look for Wisdom International in your app store and on Apple TV. Thanks for listening. Come back again for more of The Wisdom Journey.